0: Welcome to the Sermon Podcast from Free School Court Church in Bridgend. This podcast features sermons from the Bible, which are recorded at our Sunday services each week. To find out more, please visit our website, freeschoolcourt.org.uk, or find us on social media. What is your idea of paradise? What is your idea of paradise? Maybe it's down the beach on a glorious sunny day, golden sands stretching for miles either side of you and the sea um, lapping at your feet down at Rest Bay or Barry Island or maybe even somewhere a little bit warmer than those places. Or Maybe it's in a garden surrounded by beautiful flowers blooming into life. And life is everywhere you look, and wildlife, birds singing in the trees. Or maybe you just love the the remoteness and um, beauty of the mountains. Does your idea of paradise contain people, or are you there by yourself in delightful solitude? We all have our different ideas of what paradise is like. But for it to be paradise, it needs to be more than just the place. Maybe you've had the really... um, unpleasant experience of being away on a holiday that you've looked forward to for ages and then you get there and you're unwell and you can't enjoy the beautiful places around you because you don't feel well. That's not paradise, is it? It doesn't matter where you are. If you feel ill, it's not really paradise, is it? Maybe you've heard a line to this effect. Money can't buy happiness, but I'd rather cry in a Ferrari or in the Maldives or in a mansion that may be true, but that's hardly paradise, is it? If we're suffering with grief, even if we are in a place which could be considered a paradise, it isn't really a paradise to us in that moment, is it? True paradise. We need more. And we're going to think about paradise this morning. But first, let me introduce you again to two men. Two men. Two men that we heard about a little about in our reading. These men are criminals, criminals or robbers. Their crimes have finally caught up with them. They've had a few years of crime, we can imagine at this point, stealing from various different places and finally the law has caught up with them. They've been tried for their crimes and they're facing death. They're sat in a cell waiting to see what is going to happen to them but knowing that their sentence is death. And as they're sitting in their cells, waiting to see what is going to happen to them there in Jerusalem. They start to get a sense that something is going on in Jerusalem. There's a buzz about the place. Everyone's talking and shouting and there's much going on, but they don't quite know what is going on. Eventually, the prison guards come in and tell them that their time has come. They are to be crucified. And they're led out of their cell, out of the prison and out of the city. And as they're led out, the two of them, they notice that there is another man being led out with them. There's another man who is facing the same sentence as they are. And as they look back across at this man carrying his cross like they are, waiting to be crucified, ready to be crucified, they realize that they recognize this man. They recognize this man who is going with them. They recognize him not from their criminal circles. This man isn't a criminal like them. He's not a robber or a thief. They recognize him. He's the teacher. This man's the preacher. He's the one who himself had recently been causing quite a stir in Jerusalem and in all around the area. This is the teacher and the preacher who was claiming to be God's Messiah. This is the man, Jesus, He's the one who was claiming to be the Christ. He was claiming to be God's chosen one. He was saying that he was the one who was gonna fix the world. He was the one who had power to forgive people's sins. He's the one who had the power to say that people could go into heaven, into God's kingdom. He was the one who was saying that he was gonna be God's king. In fact, he was the one who claimed to be God himself come to live as a man on earth. But as the criminals see this man, as they remember this, as they remember who he was and what he had said that he was going to do, they realize that these claims must have upset some people. They realize or they think, well, maybe this man isn't who he said he was. If he's here, if he's carrying his cross, if he's heading the same way that we are, he mustn't have been the person that he claimed to to be. Here he is, about to die alongside them. And on they go, being led out of the city, led up to Golgotha, the place of the skull. They reach it and are lifted up by the soldiers onto their crosses. They face a shameful death. A crowd has followed them out and is watching on as they are about to die. And as these two criminals are lifted up on their crosses, one on the left, one on the right, with Jesus in the middle, they realize something. The criminals realize that no one is looking at them. As they are lifted up, everyone is focused on that man in the middle. And the crowd aren't just looking at him, they're shouting at him. They're hurling abuse. They're spitting out insults towards him as he hangs there on the cross. Seeing this, hearing this, the criminals realize that they have an opportunity to keep the attention off of themselves. And so they both, the one on the left and the one on the right, add their voices to that of the crowd, screaming out insults to this man in the middle. This man who claimed that he had come to save his people, but evidently couldn't save himself from a shameful death in his early thirties. The criminal on Jesus's left once again cries out, this criminal has no faith in Jesus. He doesn't trust Jesus. He doesn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. How could he? As Jesus was hanging there on the cross. So he too ridicules Jesus. There's no way that this man could be who he claimed to be. And as he cries out, this criminal takes some slither of comfort that during his shameful, suffering death, the focus is not on him it 's on this man in the middle. as this is happening, the other criminal on Jesus 's right has fallen silent he 's no longer hurling insults as he was before at Jesus he 's no longer saying anything rather this criminal has started to feel something. And it's not the intense pain. He's feeling something within, within his heart, within his soul. He feels uncomfortable. Again, not physically, though he's hanging on a cross, bound to a cross, having to struggle to lift himself up to be able to suck air into his lungs. No, besides all of that, this criminal feels heavy, heavy inside. He feels a weight on his heart. But at the same time, he finds himself drawn to Jesus, hanging there at his side. This man had seen the way that Jesus had behaved. He saw the soldiers beating and mocking Jesus as they put him on the cross. He heard the unrepeatable insults that the soldiers and the crowd had shouted at Jesus. And he'd seen the way that Jesus didn't fight back. Jesus didn't fight back. He didn't shout back. He didn't even speak back to them. In fact, he realizes that Jesus hasn't really said much at all. And when Jesus does finally open his mouth to speak there on the cross, what the criminal hears Jesus say is not something to the crowd, but he prays. He prays a prayer. And he says, Father, forgive them. What? What? This criminal thinks to himself, forgive them? He wants them to forgive. um, He wants them to be forgiven after what they have done to him, after what they are doing to him. Sure, this Jesus made some bold claims. He claimed to be God himself. He claimed to be able to forgive sins. But he doesn't deserve death. This man hasn't really done anything wrong. He's a good man. This man hasn't done anything wrong and yet he wants forgiveness for the people who are killing him. Now the criminal thinks to himself, maybe if Jesus thinks that God can forgive these killers of him, maybe God can forgive me for my crimes. Maybe God is willing to forgive me for what I've done, this criminal thinks. And as he thinks this, his heart starts to lighten. As he's thinking this, the other criminal cries out to Jesus again, and we see what he says in verse 39. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us, the criminal says. And this now annoys the other criminal. We see his response in verse 40. The other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man, Jesus, has done nothing wrong. Finally, this criminal turns to Jesus and he addresses Jesus and he says, tentatively, but with faith, with trust, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus turns his head to him and utters, some of the most beautiful words that could ever be spoken. He says, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Truly, I tell you. He's saying, mark my words. You can trust what I'm about to say. Today, you will be with me in paradise. As he hears these words, the criminal feels the weight starting to lift within him. Even as the physical agony intensifies. He feels doubt and fear starting to be replaced by confidence, confidence in Jesus, confidence that he is going to go to heaven even as he dies on the cross, and he starts to feel peace within. And with his newfound peace, he watches what unfolds in front of him. Even though it's noon, the middle of the day, and the sun should be high in the sky, it starts to grow dark. And as it grows dark, it starts to feel like all the joy and happiness in the world is just draining away with the sun. Joy and happiness become a memory, and all the people who are standing there start to feel as if they might never feel joy again. Jesus, there on the cross, cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The criminals then hear Jesus saying that he's thirsty and taking a drink. They hear Jesus declaring that it is finished, and then declaring in a loud voice. We see in verse 46, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And they see Jesus breathing his last, dying. The earth becomes peaceful as the crowd stop their shouts. They hear the centurion, the centurion who was put there to oversee the crucifixions to make sure that these three men all did die they hear the centurion saying when he had seen what had happened surely this was a righteous man surely he was the son of god and they hear him praising the lord and as they continue to hang there they watch the crowd going away many of them hitting their hands against their chest as they are affected by what they have seen And now, with Jesus in the middle, dead, with many of the crowds having left, the criminals there in the quiet face their own deaths. One of the criminals faces his death with anger and resentment in his heart. The other, not without doubts, but as the doubts creep in, he speaks to himself those words, truly I tell you, today, you will be with me in paradise. And again, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Eventually, the last painful breath escapes from his lungs and he dies. And there, that day, he finds his spirit now in heaven. There is Jesus. There are the angels. In a moment, his suffering has stopped. He feels joy and warmth, the complete opposite of what they felt before when darkness was covering the earth. They felt like pain and suffering were just a memory, and they felt a certainty that they would never experience pain and suffering again. What they felt was too glorious to be described. It could only be experienced. But they see Jesus there in heaven, in spirit. But Jesus doesn't stay there on the third day he returns to rise again in his body from the dead, from the tomb. His body still scarred from the crucifixion, yet made glorious, never to suffer, never to decay in the ground. As one hymn says, with wounds yet visible above, in beauty glorified. Jesus has risen from the dead, showing that he is Who he said he was and he had done what he said he would do defeat death bring forgiveness of sins for all who trust in him and this is how we can believe in jesus this is how we too like the criminal can trust in him because of jesus because of the bible which tells us what jesus did and what jesus said because of the gospels that were written as John says in his gospel, that we might believe, and in believing, have life. And we can believe because of Jesus' resurrection, because he rose from the dead, because countless people saw him and told others and wrote down what they'd seen. We can trust that Jesus was who he said he was. We can trust and know life. We can know the hope that the criminal knew when Jesus spoke those words to him, assuring him that today he would be with him in paradise. This is how we can know that God and heaven are real, because of Jesus. The first criminal, he doubted. He didn't believe that Jesus was who he said he was. He was only focused on himself, on deflecting shame away from himself. The only thing he really mentions is in doubt, asking if Jesus could get them both off the cross. The second criminal, he recognized. He came to believe through the way that Jesus was. He trusted. He saw that Jesus was really a king, a king who had a heavenly kingdom. Verse 42, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He realized that this kingdom wasn't a kingdom that was on this earth, but a kingdom in heaven. He trusted and simply asked that Jesus might remember him when he came into his kingdom. That Jesus would remember him when he came into heaven. We might ask ourselves, who gets to heaven? We might ask ourselves, can I get to heaven? And this criminal shows us that anyone can get to heaven. It doesn't matter how bad you are. This criminal shows us that even a criminal who, for all we know, had never done a good deed in his life, could get to heaven. And it shows us, too, that no one is ever good enough. Because likewise, this criminal didn't do a single thing to deserve heaven. Didn't do a single thing to deserve the kindness of Jesus. And even if we imagine the best person that's ever lived, who's done the most good things that we can imagine, that is not enough. It comes through simply trusting in Jesus, believing that he was who he said he was, that he was God come to earth as a man to live and die and rise again, that all who believe that would know life, would know heaven, life everlasting. This criminal shows us that no one is ever too bad and no one will ever be good enough, and that's okay, because trust, faith in Jesus is all that it takes. This is the story. This is the story of the criminal. This is the story of human history. This is the story of each and every one of us. We were created to know God, to know relationship with God, and in that relationship to know life everlasting, to live forever. But we turned away from God. Every human who's ever lived has turned away from God in one way or another, rejected a God of life, and chosen death. And yet Jesus came to pay the price for that rejection of God, to be rejected by God on the cross. That's what happened in the darkness. He took the punishment for sin there on the cross. And then he died to defeat death by rising again so that all who believe in him will not perish but will know everlasting life, will live forever in heaven. And one day Jesus will return to this earth in his human body and remake the heavens and the earth into a new heavens and new earth with no pain, with no suffering, with no death. The words of Jesus here mean that we can have assurance and hope, that no matter what life throws at us, no matter our struggles and suffering, no matter our illnesses, our worries, our anxieties, we have a God who cares. A God who knows what it's like and a God who saves. The Christian faith is based not on us, but on Jesus. Not on what we do, not on a set of rules, but on Jesus. We're saved by what Jesus has done and what Jesus does, not by what we do. It's not even our faith that saves us, it's the object of our faith, Jesus. A weak faith still saves us because our faith is in Jesus who is strong. And the hope that we have as Christians is paradise, not a beach or a mountain, true paradise, true paradise, which is beyond our wildest dreams, which will be beautiful and glorious, but also will be without suffering or pain, without darkness, without anything that can take away the joy, not hell, but heaven. the paradise that we have to look forward to as we trust in Jesus. With no sin, no rejection of God, none of the effects of sin, with no chance for it to go wrong again, just a glorious world of joy for all eternity, a true happily ever after, a true one, a real one. And this is something that we can all get in on, no matter who we are, what we've done in our past, how good or how bad, We can only get in on this because of Jesus. As we heard from Trev, Palm Sunday is all about receiving the king. Receiving the king. And the king that is received is this one who came in on a donkey. Who in the space of a week went from having the praise of the people to receiving their insults as he died on a cross. But even as he was lifted up on the cross, he was paying the price for sin and winning life for his people. He was preparing to enter into his heavenly kingdom and to do so bringing after him a host of people to share in that kingdom. And again, the question for us this morning on this Palm Sunday is, will we receive the king? Will we receive the king and know the hope of those words today or whatever day it is on which we die, you will be with him in paradise. Will you receive the king this morning? Let's pray.